Hey everybody, welcome to the Smell Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boateng. This week, I'm excited to share with you all an interview with Jules. She created a YouTube video series called Tales of Anosmia, which you can find online by going to YouTube and searching for her channel, Jules Zenda, and that's spelled J-O-O-L-Z-Z-E-N-D-A. Her videos are lighthearted and they help explain to people what it's like growing up with congenital anosmia. I'm going to go ahead and let Jules tell her own story. So here's our interview. Hi, Jules. Welcome to the Smell Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, so to get started today, can you please tell us about yourself? Where did you grow up? Um, well, um, Cardiff in Wales, which is a fairly middle-sized city. Um, kind of ended up back here again, having a gone away to university so back in my hometown so you grew up in wales that's yes. pretty exciting is wales in the united kingdom yes it is one of uh, one of the four countries so scotland wales england and northern ireland okay i should probably have known that but <laughs> so can you tell us all what is your anosmia story uh well as far as we're aware i was pretty much born without it uh, it's not something I've ever had investigated, but when I was born, there was an element of birth trauma involving forceps, which they used to grab the baby's head and pull the baby out. And my face got quite cut up across the bridge of my nose and a little bit into my eye. And my eye was fine and recovered, but my parents were kind of anticipating there might be some problems due to that damage. And I seem to have never been able to smell. So we're assuming that was the problem, but we've never had it looked into. Oh, interesting. So when you were younger, how did you figure out that you couldn't smell? I don't actually remember working it out myself because my parents were yeah, kind of expecting there to potentially be some problems from that. So I remember being aware of it at a very young age, like maybe three or four years old. And I remember my parents doing a little smell test to see if I could smell things. So I was given various things in paper bags and asked to breathe in and see what it was and obviously I had no idea what anything was uh, except one of them contained some of my mum's perfume and I breathed that in through my mouth and gagged quite a lot. <laughs> so smell is kind of an abstract concept so what was that like for you as a child having your parents try to explain that you should be experiencing something that you weren't? Oh, um, It's not something I really thought about that much, if I'm honest. It's only in the last maybe five or ten years I've really been trying to think about what I'm missing out on. Because I think when you're when you're born without it, you kind of you accept your reality. And all I know is how I how I perceive food and how I experience things. So like I know I can taste my food in a way that makes sense to me. So I wasn't really thinking about the extra element that I was missing out on, if that makes sense. Yeah, that kind of leads into my next question is, um, how did you come to understand that your perception of taste, like flavor and taste, was different than other people? I think the big one would be like flavored sweets, I think was when I was first aware of it, because most like, um, yeah, mixed various flavored sweets pretty much are all the same to me. I can usually tell if it's supposed to be a citrus fruit or an other kind of fruit, because those are a lot more sour usually. But other than that, they're pretty much all the same thing. So I remember when the first Harry Potter movie came out, they had the Bertie Bots Every Flavor Beans that kind of came with the film as like a promotional thing. Uh -huh. And some of them had really awful flavors, like kind of like the, 
because there's a game now isn't there with like the beans all look the same and some are some are awful flavors and some are good sort of as a roulette sort of thing and i remember eating those as a kid the harry potter ones and people saying a certain flavor was absolutely awful and they all just taste like sugar so <laughs> yeah I, I've had those before as well, and I agree with you. It's just kind of like, oh, well, I, I think it's sweet, but I'm not really sure what else is going on. <laughs> so on your YouTube channel, which is how I found out about you having anosmia, you talk about how much you like chocolate. So can you explain why you enjoy chocolate so much? Uh, it's, I think it's a combination of how strongly sweet, but with the subtle bitterness to it, it is. And also the texture, because it's just a good combination of a, yeah, a few tastes that I can pick up and also a really nice texture change as it melts. And it's just something very satisfying about it. And I've definitely, I'm never going to kick the sweet tooth because it's too good. <laughs> yeah. And what's your favorite kind of chocolate? Do you have a favorite? Oh, um, in the UK, we have dairy milk, which is the one made by Cadbury's. I don't know if that's something you get in America. I don't know. I don't know if I've heard of it. But um, basically, yeah, any of Cadbury's chocolate, usually fruit and nut in that, I quite like. Because, again, nice texture variation. Yeah, and that also leads into the next question that I have for you is, as a congenital anosmic, how important is texture in the, um, or how important is texture for you in the food that you choose to eat? It is so important. It's I don't know whether people who can smell are necessarily as aware but yeah, when something has an unexpected texture, definitely, it can be really off-putting. And I'm not a particular fan of anything, yeah, that's, like, when, when you overcook vegetables and they get that little bit squishy and slightly, not slimy, but, you know, like, not, it ha loses any, like, crunch or solidity. That mm -hmm. is just awful. Uh, <laughs> but... Yeah, it's, it, it really varies with different foods how much of an importance it is, but I'm definitely super aware of it. How do you feel about sushi? I'm just wondering. I've only tried it once. I'm, I'm generally, I'm vegetarian, so uh -huh. it's like I try things from various times to see, but uh, yeah, the texture of raw fish is, I, I, I don't think I could ever get past that. Right? <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I don't like it at all. Um, it's just kind of munching on something slimy. Yeah, because I mean, fish doesn't have a particularly strong taste anyway. Uh -huh. So the fact that all you're really getting is the texture and it's just not, it's not something that I enjoy. Right. So on your YouTube series as well, you talk about how to figure out or how to tell if your food has gone bad when you can't smell. So how do you figure that out? Uh, you, there are some things, there are little tricks. But generally, I go with paying attention to when you buy things or when you cook things and just using common sense on how old something is. With milk, like frequently I've gone to use milk that is just past its expiration and it looks fine. So you can kind of judgment call it, but you can definitely tell milk is off if you put a drop of it into some boiling water because it will sort of turn into little bits and like curdle. Mm -hmm. And that tells you it's definitely on the edge. Don't use that. And that's the only like trick that I've picked up really. But often I rely on my boyfriend quite a bit. I just probably once every couple of weeks I will shove some food in his face and just like, please smell this for me. Oh yeah, for sure. You definitely need somebody who has a functioning nose around to help you definitely out with what advantage. food you eat. <laughs> yeah. So on your YouTube channel, you do have 
your video series about having anosmia. So how did you decide to start that project? Uh, well, I started it nearly three years ago now, I think. And at the time, there wasn't really anything that I could find online about anosmia at all. Like, there were a few articles on like newspaper websites where they would be talking about somebody who had de developed depression because of their anosmia or something like that, something that had a story angle to it, which is usually negative. And the only press I'd ever seen was from a negative context. And in general, there's been a few issues I've had with having no sense of smell, but in general, it's not been a problem for me. It's never had a negative impact on my life, really. And it was frustrating that every time I heard anything about it, it would be in a negative context. So I wanted to put something out there that had a bit more of a positive spin. Yeah, well, I appreciate your video series. It's really helpful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then just reading through the comments on some of your videos, it seems that there's a lot of people who appreciate that as well. Yeah, I was surprised with how many people that have found my videos who've never heard the word anosmia before and didn't realize there was a term or that there were other people out there. And it's, yeah, it's been really nice just knowing that there's a few people that maybe had a, a small but positive impact on their lives, which is really nice. Yeah. So what's your funniest or if not funniest, what's your most memorable anosmia experience that you can think about? Ooh. <laughs> uh, I think the probably the most amusing one was, I think I was maybe in my third year of university. So I'd have been about 21 and I cooked a carrot and coriander soup from scratch for me and my boyfriend to eat. Uh, coriander, I think you call that cilantro in America. Uh -huh. So I made this from fresh ingredients and the recipe said to use a handful of chopped coriander. And I was obviously very generous with my handful. And it all looked fine to start. And then I got to the point where I had to blend the soup. And rather than being orange, as you would expect from a carrot based soup, it was bright green. <laughs> um, I was very concerned at this point and I tried some and it just tasted like every car carrot coriander soup I had before. It just tasted kind of sweet like carrot. Thought, oh, great. It's fine. And then I served it to me and my boyfriend. <laughs> and credit to him, he ate it all uh, very politely, but hating every moment of it. <laughs> oh, that's so nice of him. It was very sweet. But yeah, we, we threw the rest of that away. <laughs> So it turned out to be coriander soup instead of carrot soup. Yes. <laughs> when smell comes up in daily life with people that you may not know very well, do you take the time to explain to them that you can't smell whatever they're talking about? Um, it depends on the context. I think if it's a complete stranger in a public place who I'm never going to meet again, it depends on if I'm busy. Um, <laughs> if I have time to explain what it is, I might do. But otherwise, I might just go, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, and then move on. Um, but anybody who I'm going to interact with again, I will definitely bring it up and mention it because it's worth making people aware. And, yeah, it saves confusion later on if you've if you've just been pretending that you can smell and then suddenly it becomes a bit more important to make it clear. But yeah. it's not something I want to have to do with every person I meet. And it's kind of why I started making the videos for my YouTube channel as well, because I want to make more people just in general aware of anosmia so that it's not such a shock when you have that conversation with people. Mm -hmm. My favorite tactic, I think, is I just kind of smile and nod, but I don't really say anything. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I always wonder if people who don't really know me very well think that I'm odd because I'm just not saying anything about what they're saying about the smell in the air. Yeah, it's um, just non-committal agreement. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how do you feel about people saying that you have a disability or how do you feel about that word? I'm very on the fence about it. I personally don't see my anosmia as a disability, but I kind of feel it should in a way be classed as such because it is one of your senses that is missing. It's something that I've wanted to make a video about a few times because I've, I've made quite a few friends on YouTube who are disability bloggers or just happen to have a disability whilst making other, other kinds of videos. And I would love to have a conversation with someone who has what well, I guess you think of as a more um, stereotypical disability. I don't know if that's the best word, but the sort mm -hmm. of disabilities you'd think of if you were asked to think of a disability. And like from having conversations with them, they generally say, yeah, that's a disability. It doesn't have to be debilitating or stop you from doing lots of everyday things. Disabilities can be quite subtle and yeah, but I don't find it stops me from doing things, but then plenty of other disabilities don't stop people from doing things. Yeah, I know for me, when I think about that word, I just, my frustration with anosmia is that it is an invisible disability. So kind of how you mentioned, um, we can tell if someone possibly can't see or we can tell usually if someone can't hear, but you can't usually, there's not really a way to tell that someone can't smell. Yeah. So that's the struggle that I have. Um, and I think it's great that you are, that you did start your YouTube channel just so we can raise more awareness about anosmia. I don't know if it's because I'm focusing on it more or uh, or not, but I feel like I hear about it a lot more now. So maybe yeah, it's I just, think, yeah. yeah I think I'm the same that like, I think now because of the kinds of people I'm following on Twitter and the conversations I'm having, I definitely see a lot more of it, but I don't think the general public does. So I think there's a long way to go before most people you meet will be aware that you can lose your sense of smell because I find that the frustrating thing when you are explaining it to somebody and they just seem fascinated by the idea that you can lose it as if that's never occurred to them. Mm -hmm. For your YouTube channel, do you have any future projects around anosmia? Uh, I mean, I, I do want to do a more of a discussion about disability as a concept and possibly do something along those lines. Uh, but the main videos I wanted to make when I started the channel, I've now done. I've got a, around 20 or so, I think, videos in my series now. Um, there's a few things I might update. Like a few months ago, I remade the video that I did right at the start talking about how the sense of taste works because I'd learned more and I'm a bit better at articulating my thoughts now than I was when I started the series. Mm -hmm. um, quite a long time ago, I started a project of getting... Uh, various people with anosmia to answer a few questions on camera with the idea of making a little documentary and that ended up falling through just for time that I was available and I might revisit that idea and brush out those old contacts and see uh, if I could make something along those lines at some point but I haven't got any any solid plans at the moment at least. So if there's anyone who does live around the United Kingdom and they would be interested in participating in that would they just contact you via your YouTube channel? Uh, yeah, um, the, my email address is on my YouTube channel, the one that I use for uh, anything that's related to my YouTube account. And yeah, if anyone would be interested, yeah, feel free to let me know. I don't know when this would be, probably 
after I've completed my PhD thesis, which is my main uh, my main thing that I'm focusing on at the moment. It might be something I'd be doing next year. But. Yeah. When are you going to be done with your PhD? Uh, my deadline is the end of January, so I've got a few more months. And what are you studying? Uh, it's um, geography. I'm looking at maps on smartphones, so nothing to do with an Osmia. But, uh... That sounds like you're really busy then with that. <laughs> That's a lot, of, a lot of work to get a PhD, so congratulations that you're almost there. Thank you. I cannot wait for it to be done. It's been so long. <laughs> yeah. So how can listeners find you on social media besides YouTube? Um, I I am on Twitter, Instagram, all sorts of things. Pretty much everywhere I am Jules Ender. So basically go on any kind of website, type that name in, and if there is a username, it's probably me. Uh, okay, awesome. Definitely Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. Oh, thanks for having me on. A shout out and a huge thanks to Jules for agreeing to be interviewed for the podcast. If you'd like to learn more about her and her work, remember that you can visit her on YouTube and search for her channel, Jules Zenda. You can follow her on Twitter at Jules Zenda, and she's also available on Instagram and other social media sites by the same username. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. What topics would you like to see covered in the future? Do you know anyone with anosmia, including yourself, who would want to be on the podcast? If so, send me those stories or let me know that you're interested in being interviewed. Don't forget to check out the Identifying Treatments for Taste and Smell Disorders Conference website as well. And hopefully, if you guys can attend in November, we can all meet each other. As a reminder, if you do want to go to the conference, you need to register ahead of time, but it is free. If you can only attend one day, go on Thursday because that day is specifically tailored for us, the patients. And again, I'll make sure that I include a link um, to the conference website in the episode description. So that's it. If you have a story you'd like to share or if you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, please email me at thesmellpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at thesmellpodcast. Until next time, have a great day.